text for the sermon this morning is the verses 11 to 13 of 1 Kings 11. The words of the Lord after Solomon had fallen into sin. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So far, the text Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you notice there in, in the part of our text in verse 11, the Lord speaks about his covenant. And his covenant, as you know, that denotes the relationship between the Lord, the Lord which the Lord has established between himself and his people. It's a wonderful thing covenant it represents God's promises to us his his grace toward us beautiful promises to us and our children his love and faithfulness covenant is a comforting and reassuring thing for us our relationship with God doesn't depend totally on our our feelings Because one day we can feel close to God and another not. But it depends on God's loving kindness in his covenant. God's covenant remains the same. So that covenant has a wonderful positive side to it. But it also has a negative side. It's possible that God makes a covenant with people, gives them his everlasting promises, promises them eternal riches in his covenant. But those people turn their back on God and his promises. Then also God keeps his covenant because his covenant is conditional. He promises to bless, but also if there is disobedience he promises to punish then he's true to his covenant too to people who forsake him then he's true to his covenant too when he punishes those people who harden themselves against him and his love and then God takes back the blessings And he gives curses in the covenant. So the covenant is a beautiful thing. But it can also be something that testifies against you. And Solomon experienced that that's how things go in the covenant too. Solomon had been richly blessed in the covenant with God. 
He had received all the rich gifts that he had in his kingship from God. His name, Solomon, which means Prince of Peace, signified a calling for him. And that calling of the sons of David was to show something of the peace and the glory of God's kingship over his covenant nation, Israel. But if those kings no longer saw that calling, what use was their kingship over God's people? Then God could only take away the honor and wealth and peace of those kings. The Lord can only take away the covenant blessings and implement his covenant threats then when they disobey him, his statutes. If they do not keep his covenant and his statutes. With that in mind, I proclaim to you the text this morning with this theme, the Lord upholds his covenant in his judgment of Solomon. He removes the glory from David's house in the first place. Secondly, though, he continues his plan with David's house. First of all, The Lord takes the glory from David's house. Chapter 11, things take a dramatic turn. If you think about what we listened to last week in chapter 10. Chapter 10, you might remember, then Solomon was at the height of his glory and fame as king of Israel. Even the queen of Sheba came all the way from the south of Arabia to hear his wisdom and see his glory. And she brought rich gifts to King Solomon in Jerusalem, gold and spices, all because of the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, as we saw in chapter 10. So in chapter 10, we see Solomon in all his glory. The kingdom of Israel in in the height of its glory and the kingship. However, in chapter 11, we see that king, King Solomon, with that, with tarnished glory. The young king who had been looked up to by his people, praised all over the known world for his wisdom and wealth, had just become an old fool. It's incomprehensible from a political point of view that a king who had so much power and fame in the world at that time wasn't able to peacefully hand the kingdom over to one of his sons. Because later on in the chapter of our text, we're told how one rebellious servant manages to get ten tribes to reject the authority of David's royal house. Amazing if you think about it. After such a glorious time under King David and, and then Solomon too, what went wrong here? Well, congregation, it didn't go wrong politically, but spiritually. Solomon forsook the Lord God and his covenant and statutes. And that's why God allowed his kingship and the kingship of his son to be torn apart. Because what happened, Solomon, like so many other kings in the ancient world, had acquired a a harem of women for himself. A harem was a status symbol for a king in those days. Other nations 
which submitted willingly or unwillingly to a king, a certain king would offer that king royal princesses for his collection, his harem. Those women would be offered up as a gift to appease a powerful king so that he would be favorable in military relations and in trade with those nations and their kings. We won't go into what those women might have felt about that and so on, but women were treated differently at that time. They simply had to do what they were told, and you realize then that the more women a king had in his harem, the more he was looked up to and feared by others. And Solomon, he competed in that, competed with the kings of the surrounding nations. And this is where Solomon's kingship went off the rails. He began to boast about his power and wealth when he married all those 700 women and took those 300 concubines. His heart was no longer loyal to the Lord his God, but he gave his heart to his fame and all those wives and concubines. He sought his own glory. He knew how God had created things in the beginning, given Adam and Eve to each other, instituted marriage as a union of one man and one woman. But he totally ignored that. And he fell into worse disregard for the Lord God's covenant statutes too. Because along with all those women, Solomon allowed a lot of their pagan culture and religion to be imported into the promised land and to Jerusalem, the city that God chose. They brought their own gods. And to make those women feel at home in Jerusalem, far from their native country of Assyria or, or so, Solomon also made room for them to worship their own gods. Of course, at first, this mostly would have taken place behind closed doors in the women's quarters or so, and Solomon most likely figured that that was okay as long as they felt at home with him there in Jerusalem. But over time, they wanted more room for their worship, and so he allowed them to have idols and altars for their gods in certain places, in the palace and maybe in the city. But you know how it goes when the door is opened, even for a bit of false worship. It crept farther and farther until there were high places for those gods on hills around Jerusalem. Even Mount of Olives, east of of Jerusalem, in view of the temple of the Lord God, there was an altar for a foreign god. It doesn't say anywhere that he, he he himself brought sacrifices to those gods. But he allowed them to be worshipped around Jerusalem. And that's the, that's the problem. Because the Lord God has always been clear about the fact that he doesn't want to share his honor in the promised land with any other gods. He wants Israel to confess there is only one God. He refuses to just be one of the many gods worshipped and served in a certain place. One among many, but... Not even the greatest among others. The very first commandment of God's law is you shall have no other gods before me in my presence. 
You shall have no other gods in my presence, in other words. That commandment was blatantly being ignored by Solomon. The king of Israel and the king himself had the task to make sure that God's law would be upheld. Well, you can imagine that King Solomon, that other kings of other nations saw King Solomon as a tolerant king. Not narrow-minded, open-minded. But he got no praise from the Lord, the God of Israel. No, the Lord wants an undivided heart among his people. And especially then in the king he set over his people, an undivided heart. Because he alone is Israel's redeemer. And so they, they were to have no other gods in his presence. And that's why God was upset with and angry with Solomon. Just think, everything that this king had and was came from God. But then he, now he was using those gifts in his position so that to let other gods be worshipped in Israel. He couldn't have upset God more. He lost the reason why God had appointed the house of David over his people in the first place. David's sons, David and his sons as kings were to lead the people in the exclusive worship and service of the Lord God. And the promise that went with that is that if they did that, then Jerusalem would be the the glory of the nations. All the other peoples would look up to Jerusalem. God's righteousness, mercy would shine there. Israel and, Israel's kings in that were to be a foreshadowing of the, the promised King Jesus Christ. And then Jerusalem would be a, a nation to which other nations were, would be attracted. They'd be in, impressed with. They'd throw aside their own gods and seek the God of Israel as their own God too. But what happened toward the end of Solomon's reign was the very opposite of what the Lord God intended for the kings of Israel and the house of, house of David. King, the nations came to Jerusalem and found their own gods being worshipped there. They saw smoking altars around the city where sacrifices were being offered for the goddess Ashtoreth and the horrible gods Chemosh and Molech. The God to whom children were sacrificed. Do you see how great Solomon's guilt was? All the gifts he had received from the Lord no longer advertised the grace and glory of the God of Israel. His kingship, which was intended to demonstrate the glory of God's kingdom, no longer demonstrated it and no longer foreshadowed the glory of the coming king, Jesus Christ. And congregation, this, this has something to say for us as church too, today, in this world. If Christ and his kingdom are no longer central to the church, the New Testament, Jerusalem, we could say, it has no, then it has no message for the world out there anymore. 
If the preaching and teaching of the church becomes culturally determined instead of biblically determined, then the world might appreciate it. But it doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. If the members of a church don't show definite Christian lifestyle to the world, but there's conformity to the lifestyle, the behavior of the unbelieving world, the world that lives without God, then the church doesn't have any strength anymore, doesn't show any light anymore in this world. Because the church of Christ does have a unique message and purpose. Its message is about the glory of Christ's name and its purpose is to display to the world how how good and free life is under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, how good it is to belong to his people. That message and purpose were being undermined in Jerusalem because of the behavior of King Solomon at the time of our text. He broke the covenant with God and ignored his statutes. And therefore, the Lord couldn't do anything else but in his faithfulness to his covenant also punish. God is true to his threats too. So he said to Solomon... Verse 11, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. You know, that's a a sad and, and painful judgment against the first son after King David. In spite of his power and wealth and honor, Solomon ended up being like King Saul, who David had replaced. Through the prophet Samuel, God had told Saul he would tear the kingdom away from him and give it to somebody better than him. And that, that made it even more painful for Solomon. That other person God was going to give the kingdom to in, in place of him would be just one of his servants. Somebody less than him. You realize that congregation that God had actually made no progress when he promised the kingship to David's house. For that house of David, that house which God had given so many promises to and so many gifts to, wasn't able to govern God's people as God wanted. The kingship in Israel had actually become a big failure. From that time on, things basically went downhill with the kingship over Israel. Steadily downhill from the high point of David and Solomon. Downhill, down, down. With a few ups and bumps. Until Israel ended up in, in exile in Babylon. Without a king. Under a foreign king. And that while God's plan was to make his kingdom on earth greater and greater through the kings of Israel. Until the coming of Jesus Christ, the son of David who would reign eternally. The sad failure of Solomon's kingship as displayed in our text shows that it wasn't possible. God's kingdom too vulnerable in the hands of people, even God's own people. If God's king was to come to fullness through the efforts of people, it would never happen if it was left up to people. But that brings us to the second part of the sermon this morning. 
God continues his plan, still continues his plan with David's house. So God's sentence against Solomon, described in our text, meant the end of the kingship of David's house over Israel as a nation, as a whole. The 12 tribes of Israel. You have to realize it was a far-reaching event. It's easy to overlook the real meaning of that tearing of the kingdom because we're quick to just draw, uh, just draw the line through the lineage of David's house via the kings of Judah to, to Christ. We figure as long as David's house still reigned there, things were still pretty good in, in Jerusalem. But we shouldn't forget that the, the region over which David and Solomon reigned reached far beyond the borders of Israel itself at the height of the glory of Israel. It was an international world power and David and Solomon were respected throughout the known world. But what was left to the house of David after Solomon, after God's judgment against Solomon, was just a little sliver of land right through the middle of Palestine. That kingdom of Judah became a little mini-state without any political clout. And it's true that the Lord God said he wouldn't tear the whole kingdom out of the hands of Solomon's son. Fortunately not. But he left him with just one tribe out of the, out of the 12. Later on the tribe of Benjamin would join with Judah. Would join up with Judah. But the text emphasizes the number one. One tribe. Actually that's how it is in Hebrew. One tribe. I will give to your son for the sake of my servant David. One only. Out of the 12, just a small part of the original 12, a sliver. However, still something was left of David's house. And that's what's important for us to note too. Because of God's judgment, David's house lost all its original glory and honor and, and power. During Solomon's reigns, the region which were controlled outside the borders of Israel to the rivers, Euphrates and the Nile and so on, that the, all those nations fell away. But during the reign of his son, those other tribes would also be taken away, basically the whole nation. That's God's judgment. But at the same time, in his anger, God remembers mercy. Because the house of David is allowed to keep just that one tribe. A remnant. The tree of David's house chopped down. So that all that was left was a stump. But a shoot, a tiny shoot would grow out of that stump in the future. Very small, shoot, but alive. That's the Lord God couldn't continue with the house of David after Solomon, but he didn't let his purpose and plan for that house completely fail out of his love for David and his love for Jerusalem. King out of David's line would remain on the throne in Jerusalem. And that was a sign of hope yet in the midst of this whole sad affair of Solomon's decline. 
And the Lord said that the tearing apart of the kingdom was not going to take place during Solomon's reign yet. And that wasn't because he wanted to spare Solomon, but because he wanted to spare David's name yet. Because he had promised to David that the kingdom of one of his sons would be established forever. The promise of a glorious eternal prince of peace was connected with David. And that prince would be a son of David. And yes, the first son of David made a mess out of things. And the name son of David lost a lot of its glory. But the Lord God wanted to make sure that that name would retain at least some of its shine for his people. And he also wanted the city of Jerusalem to retain some of its special symbolism as a city where he chose to let his name dwell. He wanted to retain the hope for the coming king of glory which he had connected with that city and with the house of David in it. And congregation in that we see that even though the punishment was very severe, God's grace is still greater than the power of sin. God doesn't let his plans totally fall aside. No, he continued to work at the coming of the greatest son of David, Jesus Christ, and his eternal kingdom. Oh, if that, that kingdom at the end had have depended on people, on the, on the work of people, that king and that kingdom would never have come at all. But God, in his great mercy, continued to work out his plan and purpose even when, when people failed, failed miserably. For we know that the king came. And we know that he overcame sin and Satan on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem. And we know that he established a kingdom which will endure forever. He reigns over all things now at God's right hand. Until all his enemies are made a footstool under his feet. He is the king of righteousness and the kingdom will never be torn out of his hands. He's almighty and we will, he'll certainly bring his kingdom to full and awesome glory. That's our hope. He's working on, on that as we speak, that glory of his kingdom and of Jerusalem. And that means then the new Jerusalem. All the kingdoms of the world will fall before him and all the rulers bow before him and bring their riches to him. And then those who believed in him will be vindicated. And they'll share in his glory forever. So let's make sure, congregation, that we're faithful to God's covenant. And that we always hope in and live for Christ the King, the Son of David. For God's plan will come to fulfillment. He is coming. Amen.